Hi, dear listener. Welcome to the Young Changemakers podcast, an initiative from Global Changemakers. Your co-hosts, Sophie, George, and William, are very happy to have you join us today. Over this first season, we'll show you the incredible impact of youth and hopefully inspire you to take action too. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're ready, let's go. Hi, guys, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Young Changemakers podcast series. I'm your co-host, George Chapman. And yeah, I guess Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Um, I don't know where you're tuning in from, but so far, we've got around 800 listeners from a total of 73 countries. So thanks for your support and supporting this initiative, and I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I guess the diversity in the um, audience that we've reached globally shows just how much um, all these issues that we're touching on mean to, to individuals and communities, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, the issues such as human rights, safe climate, fair access to food and nutrition, and decent work and employment opportunities. These are all issues that unite humans globally to want to solve. And I think as we're coming into Christmas, um, it's a good time to reflect and then understand just um, how your motives and your the way you think about this complex yet exciting world can create social positive change in your communities. So today I'll be interviewing Maureen Nutheka, which she's a, a Kenyan friend of mine. And Maureen is a Sustainable Development Goal 2 advocate and a passionate nutritionist. So Maureen, she did her training at Jomo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology here in Kenya. And she's a big believer in good nutrition practices and a resilient food system. She also believes that no human should die of hunger or non-communicable diseases such as hypertension and diabetes. So to solve this issue, she founded a community-based organization called Tuelu Viema, a Swahili word for let's eat right. The organization raises awareness of proper nutrition practices in communities to eliminate incidences of malnutrition. So Tuelu Viema engages communities through information sessions and teaching young, often unemployed women to cultivate and farm through the use of sack farming or vertical vegetable farming um, for local and household consumption and any surplus they have, they can, they can sell to meet their household needs. So yeah, this is a topic I'm also hev heavily interested and engaged in around food security and optimal nutrition, given that the world's population is gonna reach 9.1 billion by 2050. There's a huge concern around how we're gonna get fair access to food globally. And that's something I'll be talking in depth with Maureen about today. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and all have an excellent new year. So hi, Maureen, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Young Changemakers podcast. I'm very excited to have you here today. Hi, George. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Maureen, you've had some an excellent week, I hear. You've just um, graduated and you're finally a, a um, certified nutritionalist. And that's excellent news because we're heading into Christmas and I'm sure you'll be able to have a bit of a celebration. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, yes, I got my license uh, by practicing license and it's great news. It's been a journey, but I am really excited that I am now finally, uh, I finally now have my practicing license. So thank you so much. Yeah, congratulations. And for our listeners out there, Maureen and I met back at the Global Youth Summit in July of this year. And it was terrific meeting Maureen because I myself have spent a lot of time in, in Kenya where my parents live. And so it's great connecting with a, a fellow Kenyan. <laughs> and for you, Maureen, it was your, your second time at the Global Youth Summit. Can you just explain, and you're a, this time you're a, a peer facilitator. Um, can you just explain yeah. your journey um, and how you became a global change maker and a part of that network? Uh, okay, so I did my, I attended the Global Youth Summit in 2016. And when I attended in 2016, I was a participant. I really liked the structure of the program and the amazing young people I met. Uh, I must say it was a very interesting and mind blowing one week for me. Um, uh, I really learned uh, a lot about what has helped me um, uh, put my my organization up to where it is right now. And I thought that since um, I really gained a lot of skills and even knowledge, it was good for me to come back now as a facilitator. And that's when I met you, George, and you and other amazing um, change makers. Yeah, no, it was a terrific week. Um, the opportunity to meet 60 young people from all over the world, um, all focusing on making a difference in their communities. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It'll be something I'll um, look back on in years to come. So Maureen, um, I'd like to get to understand your journey and how you got in the work of um, addressing nutrition and malnutrition and the, and in particular food security. Um, I think a good way to get us going would be to explain your upbringing in Kenya um, and how you, that journey was created. Uh, okay, thank you for such a good question. So I grew up in Kenya and I have my roots in uh, Tarakanidi, which is one of the 47 counties in Kenya. Uh, so Tarakanidi is a fairly arid area. So growing up, I saw women and children hardest hit by malnutrition. Uh, food there is, I'd say food there is scarce because, um, because of rainfall. So I have seen um, women making hard decisions of who will eat at a particular mealtime and who will not eat at a particular mealtime. So this really disturbed me and I thought, uh, again, if I need, to, if I am to create any, if I am to change the narrative, I thought the best way was to first start off by um, doing a bachelor's degree in nutrition so that I'm able to understand what how to even change this narrative. So that's what actually led me into studying nutrition for my degree. Well, that's, that's incredible that at, at a young age you identified, I mean, just being able to take in an issue as large as hunger um, and why this education for, for women and youth is, is so important. Okay. 
So it's Tulevema, and uh, Tulevema is a Swahili word for let's eat, right? Tule is let's eat, and then Viema is right. So Tulevema is an organization that um, raises awareness of proper feeding practices in the communities, and we work with young women, and um, yeah, we work with young women of reproductive age, and um, so how we raise awareness of these proper feeding practices is through holding nutrition health talks. Um, we also teach and train the young women how to cultivate indigenous vegetables on gummy bags or sacks. And we also hold deworming drives for children up to the age of 12. Um, so maybe I should explain more why we work with women. Women are the ones who are in charge of the kitchen. And once you educate a woman on the importance of eating well and what eating well entails, she'll be able to apply that uh, back at home. And as they say, um, I mean, women are very, they are very talkative people. So whatever she learns in class through the nutrition health talks we have, uh, she will, in one way or another, she will share the knowledge that she has acquired with her friends. And that is how the knowledge will cascade down to other people. Again, why the young women is because uh, the the young women of reproductive age is because uh, iron is a nutrient of it's a micronutrient and it's a nutrient of concern among these women. And why it's a, it's a nutrient of concern is because women tend to lose uh, blood through their monthly menses, and if they are not able to find um, Rich, rich sources of iron from the food they consume, uh, and iron is a very important nutrient in the body. They will not be pro as productive as they are, are required to be, so they'll not even be able to work and find food for their families, which again um, uh, exposes them more to other nutrition disorders and also food insecurity because if you're not working, food also will be affected. Wow, wow. Uh, yeah. And it sounds like your like Tuelevema there is and your initiative is really targeting the issue of hunger at the root cause. I mean, you've identified education yeah. as number one and then as a nutritionist you're going into what deficiencies are actually there in the diet and then addressing that. So that sounds yeah. sounds incredible. Maureen, just I want to take the conversation this week, and I guess a lot of our listeners, everyone's aware that climate change is back on our consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I thought now it would be a good opportunity to say, how is this um, issue of food insecurity becoming, I mean, it's spreading globally, and I think it can be contributed um, directly to climate change and the issue of desertification and the like. So I thought I might just share a, um, a quick video, and it's about in, earlier in this year, um, thousands of Kenyan face starvation up in Takana, which is in the north northeast, am I right, of Kenya? Yes, yes. So I'll just play this video and then we can um, discuss about the, the, this situation. They're carrying emergency food supplies to help thousands of Kenyans on the brink of starvation. The construction worker lives in the administrative capital, Lodwa, but he's not faring much better than villagers in remote areas. Back home, as he works out his family's weekly budget, Moses reckons he'll need to make at least $10 to 
to buy basic food supplies. On a good day, he'll earn that on building sites. But those days are increasingly few and far between. Life has become so difficult. The drought has made things even harder. At this time last year, we could get jobs more frequently than now. It's tough for everyone, no matter where they live. Commodity prices across the country have gone up in the last few years, but it's worse in areas like this because traders buy their goods from other far-off regions and then mark up their costs to make their margin. One in three Kenyans don't have enough to eat, reported a global hunger index last year. Some agricultural experts estimate African farmers suffer $48 billion of losses to their harvests every year. Kenyan farmers lose half a billion. What needs to be done is to synchronize policies that actually help to drive the entire revolution and make the agricultural sector the engine of development. Because the agricultural sector is the only sector that can be able to reduce poverty two to four times more effective than any other sector. One of the top priorities for government leaders is ensuring all Kenyans have enough to eat. But critics say corruption and mismanagement of funds meant for development projects has made this difficult to achieve. This governor tells us he's trying the best he can with limited resources. One thing that we're focusing on now is to set aside land to commercialize. And this is a discussion we'll be having with the farmers and the people living in those areas. Set aside land to commercialize, where we will invite the private sector to come and do commercial uh, irrigation using the technology with the hope of, 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 of increasing uh, food availability. Government workers maintain there's enough food for those in drought-affected areas, but many Kenyans want more to be done to make sure that no one goes to bed hungry. Catherine Soy, Al Jazeera, Trukana, Northwestern Kenya. Mom. Yeah, and I'm, I was watching the video here myself and the situation just visually is quite dire. Um, so I guess there's some, some take-home messages there and some issues we can um, move the conversation towards, Maureen. Um, personally, I, I think um, it comes back to agriculture and access to land. Um, climate change is increasing desertification, especially in arid regions in northwest Kenya. What do you think should communities, I mean, what do you think the solutions are? Should they be relocating to more high rainfall zones or should they be relying on food resources from the government? How do you think we should tackle um, crises like this in Takana? Wow, wow, wow. Um, first of all, I don't think they should relocate because that is where those people have been born and brought up that is what that is what they that's the place they call home mm -hmm. so um like it's been raining and it's been raining like in all parts of kenya my question is and i keep asking myself this question um i think we should all have water harvesting techniques because the amount of water that has gone down the drain the past three months the past like two months when we've had really heavy rainfall mm -hmm. that is water that would have been collected would have been harvested and used um, to cultivate um, another way i think we can uh, address this this uh, problem is by uh, cultivating drought-resistant crops. We have 
I'll give an example. We have crop species which are resistant to drought. So this means they, they don't require a lot of rainfall, just minimal rainfall and they do well. Uh, an example is like the Katumani type of maize. We have uh, millet and other crops that do not require very um, large amounts of rainfall. So I think these are the crops that should be cultivated there. Mm. Um, Turkana, yes, it's a dry area, but you see what happens is that, which is also another challenge that uh, we are facing in addressing food security, is everybody wants to cultivate cash crops. And you see cash crops, uh, in as much as they bring, um, they they uh they bring they give us money not all cash crops do well in especially i i'm not sure there's any cash crop that would do very well in turkana but you see if they cultivate food crops that can grow well in turkana and even sell because it's it's a diverse country and what is found in one area is not found in another area so they can maximize on the foods on the food crops that are do very well in their area and also sell to other areas and so that they're able to buy other food stuff so i think um we should embrace the type of climate that is in specific areas and work with the type of vegetable uh, the type of um crops that do well in such areas sure but wanting yeah. to grow crops that require very high large amounts of rainfall in such an area would be doing injustice to ourselves i also think they should be educated and equipped more on on such techniques definitely last week i took a course organic agriculture run by the kenyan organic agriculture network and I saw a lot of hope coming out of that course. There were farmers there and amongst that network who were really moving towards new agriculture techniques that are really at the forefront, such as intercropping, using swales uh, on the edge of hills to capture more water more efficiently and reduce the water runoff and sort of more regenerative and ecological farming practices, such as yeah, applying fertilizer direct at the seed and yeah, all these new practices, which um, I think mm -hmm. are overlooked and could possibly increase, yeah. increase that water infiltration into the soil because every 1% of organic matter you increase in the soil, that's 8% more water absorbed. So a simple wow. change in practices, yeah, has massive um, impact on that water infiltration. Um, I've got another question going back to nutrition. You touched on yeah. a lot of Kenya's rapid population increase and we're seeing a bit more of a rising middle class here in Kenya and a result, I see a trend towards more convenience or fast food choices uh, such as KFC is popping up around here in Nairobi. I mean, KFC is delicious chicken, don't get me wrong, but it's not so good for our health. How do you think we can um, reevaluate our food choices and educate uh, Kenyans on the um, appropriate nutrition? Um, I think the first step would be to equip, equip ourselves with knowledge. And as you've said, um, this convenience, these fast food restaurants are not bad. Uh, what I usually say is how much or what quantity are you consuming? So um, if we equip our society with 
what I, what these kinds of foods do to our systems once we we are regular consumers of these foods um, we'll be able to reduce the consumption and also not just uh, say these foods are not good but also provide a solution a challenge that most kenyans are having is nowadays people don't have enough time to cook because they're usually because they're usually working very they leave their their houses very early in the morning come back very late and i mean someone is very tired to cook so how you can address this is maybe through the weekend uh, you try and prepare food um which you if you have access to something like a refrigerator you store the food such that once you just come back from work you you warm the food and eat the food uh and also i usually say whenever every time actually not me but there's a saying that says every time you eat it's an opportunity for you to nourish your body you might not access good food or healthy food all the time but the little or the very few instances you have access to good food and good food i mean a, a varied diet a diversified diet which has carbohydrates, uh, proteins, fats, uh, proteins, vegetables, and vegetables and fruits uh, mm. you maximize. So I am sure out of seven days you can somebody can access food, uh, really good food, really healthy food, even five yeah. or three times. So those few times you're able to access or you have an opportunity to make a decision between whole foods or non-processed foods versus processed foods, please go for the unprocessed foods. Uh, yes, so I think if we equip ourselves with the knowledge and what these um, processed foods do to our bodies, we'll be able to make better decisions. And actually, uh, 50, over 50% of the hospital total hospital admissions are as a result of non-communicable diseases and these non-communicable diseases are like the diabetes hypertension which are partly attributed to our feeding practices so as much as possible i i mean we at one point or another i'm sure you have a decision to make between good uh, healthy food and processed foods the mm. processed food of course is the most convenient but are you nourishing your body or you just you'll just enjoy the taste of the food which food doesn't even take that long in your mouth so yeah i think if you're equipped with knowledge uh, you'll be able to make more informed decisions Definitely. I mean, there's, there's that saying, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. <laughs> I love yeah. that one. Yeah. It's interesting you, you touch on, like, I think Kenyans uh, are quite excellent and they have a rich um, and diverse diet. A lot of people, I mean, 80% of the world's farmers are self-subsistent and that's pretty much the same here in Kenya. So a lot of communities are, yeah, are growing their own food near their homes so i think as the rising middle class and more access to pro heavily processed foods um that's an issue but if we can encourage you know continuing to support go to local farmers markets and access that rich diversity and as soon as you step in a supermarket i mean everything's highly processed and that's when you're accessing 
uh, food that's coming from more more of an industrial agricultural model, which has been. Um, you no, know, I've just remembered. Um, to just I'm just trying to emphasize on the importance of uh, having knowledge on nutrition, just even basic nutrition mm-hmm. knowledge. Uh, I met a lady. This was about five months ago, and uh, she was telling me that. Uh, she usually she culti- she grows a uh, pumpkin and arrow roots so and she was telling me her children don't like uh, the pumpkins and arrow roots so what she does is that she sells the pumpkin and arrow roots so that she can be able to buy her children bread uh, bread is not bad but um what kind of bread is she buying she's she actually she's she sells these tubers to buy her children white bread, which they enjoy. I partly understood where she's coming from. I mean, she's a mother. She wants to make her children, um, she wants to give her children the best. But you see, she's selling nutritious food to give her children food that is not nutritious. Once I helped her understand uh, what the arrow roots and the pumpkin have that the bread do not have, uh, she appreciated the importance of these uh, tubers and not just because there's a notion that these are healthy foods, but she knows what type of nut- what kind of nutrients she's getting from them. And she's also able to explain to her children why they are now gradually changing from consumption of white bread every day to now um, consuming the pumpkin and the arrow roots. So, I think knowledge and information has a very big role to play. Yeah, definitely. And I think if at a young age, if you educate youth, I mean, once they get that addiction to sugar, there's, I think there's like no turning back. I know myself yeah. included. As soon as I, like growing up, I played a lot of sport and I think my body was craving good nutrition. Um, but it was crazy back in Australia. You know, you get man of the match at, at, the local, at your soccer game. And do you, do you know what they gave us? They gave us a, a McDonald's, um, <laughs> sort of free McDonald's McHappy meal. And you, you go, you run off to the, to the nearest McDonald's. So I think now things have <laughs> changed. But, um, yeah, just once you uh, educate um, households on the importance of accurate nutrition, I think your body starts to mm. understand and crave what it really needs. Mm. Maureen, we're going to take a bit of a jump here back to your, your area and your work part of your life in sort of uh, activism and empowerment of communities. What do you think have been sort of the biggest, uh, major, maybe major setbacks in your work and how do you suppose to overcome these um, areas? What, what, what would be some of your advice? Um biggest setback some of the biggest setbacks i have encountered is uh people tend to think um eating a nutritious meal eating uh, adopting a healthy lifestyle is a very expensive way of living which essentially is not i'll give an example of a local food in kenya here we call gideri which is just a mixture of maize and beans so maize and beans Maize is carbohydrate, beans is protein. If you cook that meal with uh, a vegetable like cabbage or even indigenous vegetables like what uh, the Tulevema women um, 
grow like i'll give mm-hmm. an example of maybe terere and you eat a fruit like a banana you have already had a balanced diet you have already eaten a diversified diet so that's one major challenge that we have faced we are facing is when when you're telling somebody about eating a diversified diet eating um a, a, a balanced diet uh, all through not just um for a certain period of time they tend to say but i mean that is a very expensive lifestyle but until you break it down for them and tell them what are the um available sources of these carbohydrates you're tra- you're vouching for what are the available sources for these proteins you're vouching for for the vitamins and minerals they are now they are now able to say ah it's not as expensive as we thought so and then uh the other ch- challenge that we have had is uh very many women want to be a part of the Tulevema project which is the cultivation of the indigenous vegetables because they cultivate these vegetables for their consumption and then they sell the surplus since they we help them set up four different types of vegetables so and since our women stay where they live um so the property owners do not want sacks in their yeah. property so because they say they are unfortunately they say they are unsightly uh them not understanding or ignoring the benefits that these vegetables have so mm. we have had sometimes to we have had to leave some women behind because because they do not have spaces where they can set up these vegetables but also we have also seen them partnering up and saying look if you've not been allowed to set up these sacks you can set up in i can talk to my land owner and see if they can allow me and you can set up your sacks there so uh that it's it's i must say george it's very sad when you see a young lady who's very interested in a project but she has nowhere to put this animals Yeah. yeah, I mean the vertical, the the vertical farms are an excellent way to grow a lot of produce in a small amount of area. Um, it's a shame that some landowners aren't aren't accepting that. Um, hopefully, if yeah. if you can communicate to them, and I mean just thinking out loud here, maybe if mm-hmm. if they could get a reduced um, access to the vegetables, I don't know, or sort of give them a sort of bonus, sort of plead them. I'm not sure. Look, Maureen, um, we're running short of time, unfortunately, but just because you've done such an amazing work in this space, I'd like to now ask you some, just some areas of advice for, from you that you could give to other youth who are eager to create change in their communities. Do you have any major pointers that you could share with us? Uh, yes. Um, the first one would be... Um, the first step is for you to identify an area that makes you really angry uh when you sit back and um look at society or look at your community what area makes you really angry and that area that makes you really angry uh helps will is what i think should be the area in which um you, you will focus on creating change 
because if it makes you angry it 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 will even give you more drive and yeah it will give you more drive towards changing what you're already seeing and the other thing is to start um often we wait until we have the very clearest of our vision so that we are able to see even our end goal but um this tends to slow us down and and we tend to see look I, i can't even see very clearly where i want to go but as long as you have if you have a direction of where you want to go uh just start um also you get to learn as you're on the way so do not wait for you to have everything that you require just start and somehow um you will learn on the way and you'll be able to achieve the change that you want to see so the first yeah. two things um identify what makes you angry and once you have just a small idea of where you want to get just start and i mean the world needs us the, the world needs that one person who is saying and the other thing there's nothing that is very small it might look very small to you but it's a problem so you if you are the change you want to see If you'd like to know more about Global Changemakers and our mission of enabling youth to create a positive impact in their communities, you can visit our website at global-changemakers.net or follow us on social media at wearegcm. And if you'd like to support us further, go check out our Patreon page at Global Changemakers and help us have a greater impact. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Young Changemakers. See you next Tuesday.